Matthew Henry comments on this chapter. He says, A man after God's own heart, David was, and yet he had his faults, which are recorded not for our imitation, but for our admonition. Witness the story of this chapter. Hear now the word of Almighty God, 1 Samuel 27, inspired by God's Spirit, profitable for us. Verse 1. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines, and Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. And David arose. And he passed over with the six hundred men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Maach, king of Gath. And David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, even David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's wife. And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath, and he sought no more again for him. And David said unto Achish, If I have now found grace in thine eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country, that I may dwell there. For why should thy servant dwell in the royal city with thee? Then Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Wherefore Ziklag pertaineth unto the kings of Judah unto this day. And the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. And David and his men went up and invaded the Geshurites and the Gezrites and the Amalekites. For those nations were of old the inhabitants of the land, as thou goest to Shur, even unto the land of Egypt. And David smote the land and left neither man nor woman alive. And took away the sheep, and the oxen, and the asses, and the camels, and the apparel, and returned and came to Achish. And Achish said, Whither have you made a road today? And David said, Against the south of Judah, and against the south of the Jeramelites, and against the south of the Kenites. And David saved neither man nor woman alive to bring tidings to Gath, saying, lest they should tell on us, saying, so did David, and so will be his manner all the while he dwelleth in the country of the Philistines. And Achish believed David, saying, he hath made his people Israel utterly to abhor him. Therefore, he shall be my servant forever. Thus far, the reading of God's inspired word, 1 Samuel chapter 27. May the Lord bless us in the reading and hearing of this sad tale. Verses 1 through 4, we have David's despair of God's help and the prudent care he takes for his men and his family's safety. Notice here in verse 1, God tells us the internal thoughts of the heart. As we will consider later, the Bible is God's word. It is from an infallible source, an omniscient source, 
Can you and I know the thoughts of other men? We can't. Can God know? He can. David knew what da- or God knew what David said in his inner man, in his heart. He didn't utter the words out loud, but God knew it. And David's reasoning was as follows. I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. This is fiction. This is not true. This is not reality. God's design was that he would become the king over Israel. He had anointed him as such. He had promised and preserved him even in time past. This is something David made up on his own. He would not perish one day by the hand of Saul. And furthermore, his second lie in verse 1, nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. Again, not true. Were there other things better for David? Let me ask you, had David been commanded to stay in Judah? Chapter 22, verse 5, the prophet Gad came to him and said, leave the hold, go to the land of Judah. Did God rescind that order to David? No. God had preserved David again and again from many evils that fell out upon him from Saul and from people who would betray him, people who would hand him over. And did God ever cause a hair of his head to drop to the ground? No. God had preserved him. I note then this doctrine, David here trusting in his carnal policy and wisdom, Remember, David had lately cursed men who drove him out from the inheritance. What's he doing to himself? Driving himself out from the inheritance. I know when we are wronged, we are often tempted to distrust God, to do evil, to soften the blow of our conscience because we are some kind of victim status. Had David been wronged by others? Yes. Did that excuse his disobedience to God's commandments? Forsaking the inheritance of God, the people of God, going to fight for the uncircumcised, saying he's in allegiance with a pagan king, is all that pleasing to God? But David has been wronged, you see, and so he sees himself. Let us rather trust in God. Let us realize what we truly deserve. And let us then do our duty, relieving the results to God's providence. Our modern evolutionary psychology would teach us that we are the products of our environment. Did you know that? You know, they believe that humans were created by a historic process known as evolution. And because of this, does man have a soul? No. He's just the product of all this ooze that over billions and kabillions and schmagillions of years somehow poof turned into humanity. Wow, isn't that awesome? Whoa, dude, isn't that great? But no, it's not great. It teaches man he is the product of his environment, that he is a mere clump of cells, that he has no moral character. And we all know this is false. We all know by instinct of nature, we are not a clump of cells. We study clumps of cells. That's different from being a clump of cells. Birds don't write books and hold coursework about humans. Do you know why? Because they're not created in the image of God. They don't have the capacity to think. They don't have a moral character as man has. 
Man is not the product of his environment, and therefore we may not say, I have been wronged, therefore I have no responsibility. That is the evolutionary model. I have been wronged, and therefore I owe no duty to others. Have you ever heard of Black Lives Matter? Why can they burn down cities? Why can they steal? Oh, because they have been oppressed by others, you see. Wrong has been done to me. I have no moral responsibility. I can do as I please. God does not agree. David does not have the right to distrust God, to disobey a direct order from Gad the prophet on God's behalf. He does not have the right to go and fight for a pagan, the uncircumcised, who before he has slain and destroyed, he has no right to pretend to be a loyal subject to a pagan king. But he's been wronged, you see. He has victim status. We must not claim such nonsense for ourselves. Note verse 2. David comes to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. David has been here once before. And perhaps this time he comes with 600 men, not as a disguised single with a couple of men with him. He possibly sent an ambassador. Hey, I have a small retinue of soldiers. I'm coming to be with you. I'm leaving this kingdom. I'm coming to your kingdom. And so he's received this time. But he's making friends with one that God will later require him to possibly kill. Think about this. If this is the king of the Philistines, and God promised you, David, that you'll be king of Israel, and the Philistines now possess land that God has granted to you as king of Israel, what will you be required to do to this king? Kill him. That's what you'll be required to do. Does David come forth and say that to the king of Gath? You know, I'm going to be king of Israel. One day I'll kill you. Does he say that? No, he's like a snake. Weasels his way in with lies and hypocrisy. You see, he dissembles and pretends things are true that are not true. He intentionally misleads this man. He's given the city of Ziklag. Do you know what happens to the city of Ziklag? It gets burnt with fire and all the women get taken away. Pretty good planning on David's part, huh? No. David is a hypocrite in this passage, a snake. Lying and dissembling, abandoning God's people, weakening the army of Israel, pursuing his own interests over truth, duty, and loyalty. And where did it start? David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me to do than to take matters in my own hands to follow my own wisdom and stop listening to God and trusting his promises. Is that the best thing David could do? No, there were many better things he could have done. Now notice, though on the good part, every man with his household, they provided for their wives and children. David had two wives. Was it good for David to care for his household? Yes. Was it good for David to have two wives? No. Do you remember that God in the beginning created Adam? And he created who? Eve? What about 
a number two. Was there a second wife? Was there a third? Maybe a fifth? Maybe 723? Did he have a whole harem of women? One man, one woman. And what does our Lord say? They two shall become one flesh. Not they three, not they four, not they 2,986. God made two into one, for he seeketh a godly seed. Do you know who introduced this practice that David is practicing? Was it God who told them to do it? Was it some godly patriarch who decided one day he woke up and said, you know, I should have a second wife. You know who started this? The descendants of Cain. And the people of God eventually bought into the lie and followed their wicked example. Now just think this through. How many happy homes do we read about with several wives in the Bible? Are there just so many sparkling, beautiful examples? No, there's death, murder, rape, incest, killing, war. That's what you get with polygamy. That's what the Bible says. Just think about it. Who comes out of this relationship of Abraham with Hagar? Well, Ishmael does. What is Ishmael's general character? His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. Warfare, death, destruction, killing, mayhem. That's what comes out of polygamy. In fact, in David's own house... From Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, will come a son who rapes his half-sister. That's what comes out of polygamy. It is a dream that men have of this glorious thing, and God says it's like hell on earth. Now notice, David in his carnal policy and wisdom, he said... Saul's not going to seek me. He'll despair of me if I leave, right? Was he right? He was, verse 4. And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath, and he sought no more again for him. Sometimes our carnal policy works, doesn't it? Sometimes it accomplishes the pragmatic goal that we have. Does that mean it pleases God because it happens to work sometimes? No. Now Saul, again, as a liar, said he would seek David no more, but what did it take for Saul to finally give in? Well, he's not in my country anymore. What can I do? That's when he gave up. He did not mean what he said before, as we saw in chapter 26. Verses 5 through 12, we have David's deserting his nation, dwelling among the Philistines, his lying expeditions to crush Israel's adversaries. Notice there in verse 5. Let them give me a place in some town in the country. Now this is good. Can you imagine David living among the royal city? Do you know what goes on in royal cities? Corruption, idolatry, wickedness, lawlessness. He wanted to be out in the country. That's to be commended. Away from the wickedness of the royal city. But the bad part is this. David wants to be out of the eye of the king of Gath. Why? Because he's going to lie his head off. He's going to tell him things that are not true. Why should thy servant dwell in the royal city with thee, David says. See how humble David is? Is he the servant of this king of Gath? Because that's how he calls himself. Whose servant is David? Well, he's the servant of God, and who else? He's the servant of Saul. 
he calls him, my Lord, O King. You remember that? Well, who is it? Is Saul your Lord or is this man over here? Who is it? You see, David is lying. He's flattering. He's saying things that are not true. Didn't David despise these uncircumcised? Didn't he slay Goliath from where? Gath? Didn't he bring 200 foreskins in full tail as the dowry to Saul of dead Philistines? And now you call him your Lord? Base flattery, carnal policy, flat lies. That's what this is. Now Achish conceded Ziklag. Ziklag at one time was the inheritance of the, the tribe of Judah. Joshua 15, 31. Later, when Simeon was carved out from within the tribe of Judah, it was given to the tribe of Simeon, Joshua 19, verse 5. This city was overtaken by the Philistines and later taken by the Amalekites, chapter 30, verse 1 of this book. David is in self-exile here, verse 7 informs us, a full year and four months. And what did David do in that full year and four months? David and his men went up and invaded the Geshurites and the Gezrites and the Amalekites. Now, God had put those nations under his ban. He had told Israel, you're to kill all of them, man, woman, child, destroy them all, wipe them out. Their iniquity had reached up into heaven. God had given the sword of civil justice to the Israelites and said, you wipe these people out on my behalf and you may have their land. David was within his rights, in other words, to invade the Geshurites, the Gezrites, and the Amalekites. But they were neighbors to whom? Do you know? They were neighbors to the Philistines, to the king of Gath, perhaps even confederates with David's lord, the king of Gath. You see what David has done. He's put himself in a position where he cannot be a true and an honest man. Was it good for him to wipe out the Geshurites, the Gezrites, and the Amalekites? Yes, it was. It was his duty. As a magistrate in Israel, as the king's son, as a general of the army, he had a duty to destroy them. Could he do it in good conscience without lying and flattery? No, he couldn't. And he did this to himself. I note then this doctrine that men's actions are composed of parts. They are not all of the same sort. Some actions that we do are mixed. Some are partly good and partly evil. Some are all evil. In glory the saints shall do good only. In hell the wicked shall do evil only. But in this life the saints do some things mixed. And so here with David. And we must learn to discern between what is good and what is bad. How will we repent of our sins if we don't know which part was good and which part was bad? Which part requires confessing? Which part is pleasing to God? Our actions are composed of parts. If we do not make this distinction, we will knock over the walls in our conscience. We will think that things are bad that God doesn't condemn and will think things are good that God does condemn. We must learn to distinguish. 
David, it says, left neither man nor woman alive. He took away the sheep, the oxen, the asses, the camels, and the apparel. This was suitable. This was appropriate. And this was God's ban on these people. You know, some people believe that, well, God used to have them do this because Jesus hadn't died on the cross. And now that Jesus died on the cross, God just wants everyone everywhere to be saved. Is that actually true? That's false. God's nature does not change. God hates the wicked. He pours out his wrath on the heathen. He loves his people. He sent his son for his people, but not for all the wicked and reprobates. Here, notice, what did David say he was doing? He was going against the south of Judah. Now, if you look upon a map, I don't know if anybody kept their maps, but I brought mine this time just in case. So if you think about where David is going, he's going down in this direction. This is the south of Judah. That's where the Geshurites were. That's where the Gezrites were. That's where the Kenites were. In fact, the Kenites would have been over here, the wilderness of the Kenites. Was he toward the south of Judah? Yes. Was he going against the people in Judah? No, he was not. You see, David could say something that sounded correct, and he could justify to himself with fingers crossed behind his back, I went toward the south of Judah today. Was he telling the truth? Sort of. This is what we call the sin of equivocation. It's where you speak out of both sides of your mouth. White men speak with forked tongue, they used to say, because they would equivocate. David is equivocating. He's telling him, I went against the south of Judah. Well, did you go against the south of Judah? You went toward the south of Judah. Did you kill the men of Judah? No. So he lies. David's intention was to deceive Achish, and guess what? It worked, you see. Pragmatism. I may do what works. What accomplishes the goals that I have? Does God approve of that philosophy? No. Keep my commandments. Do my will. Trust me with the results. What is David saying? I want the results to be accomplished that I want to accomplish. If I have to lie, if I have to flatter, if I have to equivocate, if I have to abandon the inheritance of God, I'll do it. Not good. Let us learn to anchor our faith in God's promises and then walk in his commandments. Not seeking our own salvation or to be our own lawless lawgivers, justifying our lies, our half-truths, our equivocations. If we trust in God, we need fear, no reprisals. God will protect us or God will take us to himself. David wanted to keep a secret so no one would tell on us, he says. David walking in darkness, even while doing externally what God had commanded. He's destroying these wicked nations as God commanded, and yet his conscience, he doesn't want anybody to tell on him. Why? Because he's lying, because he's flattering. He doesn't want anyone to go to Achish and say, do you know where they went? They're killing the Geshurites. That's what they're doing. They're not going against Judah. He's lying to you. 
So he left no one alive, doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. Achish, verse 12, says, believed David. His machinations worked. His deceit accomplished his goal. It was credible. It was believed as true by Achish himself. David morally fails in this chapter. First, by distrusting God. Second, disobeying Gad. Third, abandoning the inheritance of the Lord. Fourth, lying. Fifth, pretending fealty to a heathen king. And on and on. You know, people said that Paul taught, let us do evil that good may come. Do you know what he said about such people? He said their damnation is just. Those who say we should do evil things, things that God says we should not do, or we do those things God prohibits because I want a good outcome, I want to accomplish a good end, their damnation is just. It is a wicked course to say, I may lie, I may flatter, I may do these things because after all my intentions are good. I want to accomplish good things. I'm actually externally doing the will of God as David was. So Achish believed David and said, he shall be my servant forever. Is that how it's going to go down? Is David going to be his servant forever? No, he's going to be his adversary He's going to be his enemy. He's going to fight against his kingdom and his people. He will not be. And so Achish was deceived. Thus far, the exposition of 1 Samuel 27.